So very few people had any idea what passage I was going to preach on this morning. But that was a like a perfect lead-in. I, I don't think I could have uh, suggested anything better. Um, but it kind of goes in line with how this morning took place. So I've told some of you this, but providentially, a couple of weeks ago, the Lord put it on my heart to prepare a sermon in the event that Tanner wakes up sick some Sunday morning. I always tell you to have one in your hip pocket, and I did not have one in my hip pocket. And he drew me to a passage, and I started preparing this morning's sermon then. So when Tanner called me Thursday night, I said, I think we're going to be okay. I'm, I'm ready. So may the Lord bless the preaching of the sermon he knew I was going to need to preach this morning. If you'll open up with me to Revelation 4. We're going to read a lengthy passage. We're going to read all of Revelation chapters 4 and 5. I believe this is on page 1030 in your pew Bibles. It's a lengthy passage. but it really contains everything. So stay with me as we read. Let the words wash over you and let the Holy Spirit carry them to your heart. Revelation chapter four. After this I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw 
and the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Dear Heavenly Father, the whole story of humanity lies before us in these chapters. May you bless today the preaching of your word. Make yourself present in our midst. Make yourself known in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I was blessed to grow up in a home that valued family time. Really above almost anything else, although I don't actually remember anyone ever saying it out loud. It was kind of just what we did. As I became a teenager, people would sometimes comment to me that my parents were always together. I remember the first time someone said it, their tone almost suggested it like it was a bad thing. And I think I probably just kept like bagging their groceries awkwardly. Uh, teenage Chris maybe not sure how to respond to that. But it was true. They worked together. They served together. They worshiped together. And my parents loved being with my brother and I. As kids, our family didn't revolve around us as I think sometimes our lives can nowadays revolve around our kids. But our family included my brother and I. 
They coached our sports. They volunteered at our school activities. They worshiped together. We talked. We joked. We helped. We forgave. And as our childhood passed and we grew into manhood, my brother and I, our family still adjusting to the transition of that, there came a time when my brother was called to go to war in Iraq in the infantry. Or he'd engage in warfare on the streets of Baghdad. It was a hard period of uncertainty for us. And at that time now for his own wife and child. Then to add insult to my parents' injury, a few months after he was deployed, I graduated from the University of Florida and took my own wife and moved us across the continent to Alaska, where I had chosen to do my residency training. Family time was now very hard. My parents were 7,000 miles from one kid and 4,000 miles from the other, and they were still adjusting to the empty nest. But as seasons often do, this season passed. And there came a time when Tara and I returned home to Florida, and after a lengthy deployment, my brother came home too. My parents had a large get-together at their house, the house we had grown up in. Tara had spent the year prior feverishly making my brother a quilt by hand. It had a pattern on it that was historically given to soldiers, and my mom and dad presented my brother with a flag that had been flown over the U.S. Capitol in his honor on one of the days that he was in Baghdad. And though it's been nearly 20 years since that day, and, and, and these moments pass in the blink of an eye, if we ever even get to feel them in this life, I can still picture it like it was yesterday, because we were home. We were together again in our backyard, sharing a meal my dad had cooked on the grill. Everything was right. It was complete. We were home. As we come to our passage this morning, I think it's somewhat normal for us to read these words and wonder, what does all of this mean? What are all the images? Sure, we understand parts of it clearly and we rejoice in the general overtone of triumph. God wins. But some portions, I think, can be difficult to place, difficult to tell exactly what's going on and difficult to apply them to our lives. And so as we approach our text today and we look at it in history, the Emperor Domitian is on the Roman throne and the last living apostle the only one not killed for his faith, John, is imprisoned on the island of Patmos, a small island in the Aegean Sea not far from the city of Ephesus. Writing visions he had been given. The second temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans, the apostles martyred, Domitian had ascended the throne, and in the aftermath of the war with the Jews, the Romans still having a hard time discerning what exactly was the difference between the Christians and the Jews, Domitian adopted the ancient Roman cultus and demanded that he be called God. And he instituted intense persecution of the Christians, for the Christians had said to Domitian, there's another king who sits on the throne, and he has dominion 
forever. That's core then. Chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation present the question of John's day for us in the midst of a fallen world. Whom do you worship? If you remember, this was the question that sat at the heart of Christ's letters to the seven churches in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Whom do you worship? All of the seven churches face struggles as the church does today, but in the last letter of chapter 3, Christ encourages the church at Laodicea to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father. And so it is with these words still hanging pregnant in the air that we come to our passage today. Seven churches struggling in a fallen world and the next vision comes to John we are brought right in to that very throne room. Verses 1 and 2. After this I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. After this, John had looked, and behold, the throne room of heaven, the door standing open. It's important to understand that the story that John is telling us, the visions that John is telling us, is a sequential report of his visions. It's not uh, a, a sequence of visions that necessarily sync up with a chronological history. This is the narrative of Christ doesn't come until we get to the middle of the book of Revelation, the narrative of the birth of Christ and the woman and the dragon. And so chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation then set the tone and the context for the visions that are going to follow after, the judgments that will follow, the pronouncements that will follow. So it makes sense then that chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation tell us the foundation of it all. They tell us the story of the gospel. And that story begins in a temple. John command of Jesus was taken up in the spirit into the throne room of heaven where he beheld one seated on the throne with the appearance of jasper and carnelian with a rainbow like emerald surrounding the throne and around the throne were 24 more thrones with 24 elders seated upon them clothed in white and wearing golden crowns and there were seven torches of fire and a sea of glass before the throne and the living creatures a lion an ox a man and an eagle each chief of their created orders represented with six wings and eyes all around their heads like the retinue of cherubim and seraphim who had previously guarded entrance into the Holy of Holies and into the Garden of Eden. Now day and night never cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the elders would cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So there are two primary things that I want us to see in the opening scene of our story. The first is that our scene puts us in something very similar to the Old Testament temple. 
the imagery, the seven lights of the lampstand, the sea of glass like the purity basin, the cherubim as at the mercy seat of the ark around the throne of God, and even the circles around the throne representing the circles around the temple of decreasing holiness as you moved further out from the center of the holy of holies in God's presence because in the Old Testament temple, God had constructed a shadow of what was happening. The second thing I want us to see is that the authority of him who sits on the throne is grounded in creation itself. We see in verse 11 that God is worthy. Why? Because he created all things, and by him all things exist. His authority over creation is absolute because he's the author of it. Not an inch of this universe has or will exist that is apart from his rule because not an inch of this universe would exist did he not will it to be so. Yes, Emperor Domitian, we will worship this God. But do we worship this God? said at the beginning that today's passage sets the context for all that's going to follow in the book of Revelation because it presents the story of the gospel. The images we see here echo the visions granted to Isaiah, to Ezekiel hundreds of years before. And we remember their reactions. They became aware of their uncleanness. They were aware of their unworthiness. Who can stand before a holy God? But that's the story, isn't it? The echoes of the earthly temple that we see in chapter 4 with its threefold nature, the holy of holies, the holy place, and the court beyond were an expansion of the threefold mountain sanctuary where God had met with his people at Sinai, which was itself a replica of the original earthly sanctuary, the threefold structure of the throne of Eden, from which the rivers flowed, watering its adjoining garden. The land and the sea beyond the garden's borders stood for Adam and Eve to subdue and to fill. The divine sanctuary where God created, where he met with his people, where he built the structure of Sabbath into the very core of creation itself. It was right there that Adam sinned. And from the promise of Genesis 3.15, the first gospel, the entire story of humanity from Adam and Eve till us in this room today has focused on one thing. How do I get it back? See, humanity itself was not the culmination of creation. That was only day six. Humanity in perfect fellowship and communion with their creator, the Sabbath, was the culmination of creation. How do we get it back? We often see this in the eyes and hear it on the lips of our dying loved ones if they're in Christ, don't we? In the sweetness of a heart preparing to die, they say what? That they are ready to go home. 
ready to see the sanctuary they've never fully seen, but yet long to return to. Ready to meet their God. But as we see in chapter 5, if creation remains in Adam, there is no way to go back home. Our kids, like most, go back to school this week. I know LCS shocked started last week. And so during this first week of August, it's become rather routine in the Tippett's household uh, for our kids to be absolutely scrambling to finish up summer reading and projects. We ought to just call them early August reading and projects. Um, thankfully, we didn't hit crisis mode this week, but I kind of wondered if we would get there. Kids are getting better at it. That's a good, good skill to develop. Um, but one of the things I love is to learn from my kids when they read books that I may not have read. And Cole and I this week got into a lengthy discussion about a book he was assigned, which many of you have likely read or know of. It's called All Quiet on the Western Front written from the perspective of a German soldier detailing the br brutality, the humanity of World War I. And as we talked about the book and how the brutality of trench warfare had really contributed to its writing, the same trench warfare that decades later would lead uh, J.R.R. Tolkien to envision the dark land of Mordor and his Lord of the Rings, the author's capturing both the, the plight of an evil and depraved world in painstaking reality and in transcendent mythology Cole said, that must have been a really hard time to live. You, you had the Great War, and then you had the Depression, and then you had the rise of the Nazis. And I, I thought about the challenge of living through those sort of multiple existential threats to humanity. I thought about how continuous that has actually been throughout all of history. I thought about the challenges of our day, the things that are very important, the things that, that threaten our church, the things that threaten our nation's existence, the things that threaten even humanity itself today. But all of them sit under the authority of him who is on the throne. And all that has ever really mattered in the world is how do we come back before him again? Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. The angel here is proclaiming to the entirety of the cosmos, to the heavens, to the earth and under the earth, who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? The judgments and pronouncements that would come beginning in chapter 6. You see, the promise to reign over creation had been given to Adam by God. It had been given to man. And as God now sat on his throne, it would therefore have to be a man who would come and open the scroll. 
but in all of creation, in all of history, there was no man to be found. No one was worthy. And John began to weep. I think it can be easy to get caught up in the moment, our moment, the day-to-day that, that very naturally, sometimes very aggressively consumes us. And we neglect to consider what is actually going on. Neil Postman was right when he wrote in the 80s that we are amusing ourselves to death. We make everything about us. We even make worship about us. We take God's word applied to our lives through the expository preaching of the word and we reduce it to self-help lessons for the week. Striving to do better, striving to be better. And while that's nice and good and it helps makes a better you, if we fail to see Christ in it all, then we have completely and utterly missed the point. And we, most of all, should begin to weep. Revelation 4 and 5 are the story of humanity. The worship taking place in the heavens at this very moment is being mirrored right here and right now. John's vision takes place between the first advent of Christ and the second. This is the moment, the church age, in which we now stand here this morning and praise God that he does not leave us in our tears. He does not leave us in our sin. He does not leave us in fallen in Adam. And one of the elders said to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And between the throne of God and the four living creatures and the elders, representing creation and the church, representing us this morning, John saw a lamb standing as slain with the seven spirits of God. The Holy Spirit, now an agent of the lamb, sent out into the earth, and the lamb approached the throne and took the scroll. And the elders and the creatures, all of creation, fell down before the Lamb, offering up the prayers of the saints, our prayers that Patrick has offered here this morning, brought before the throne of God this day, who has authority over creation, presented by the Lamb, who has made you a new creation in Him. Our moment can be overwhelming. In the inner Advent period in which we live, we're told it's going to be so. But there's an angelic ministry happening on your behalf right now if you bear the name of the Lamb. Your prayers as golden bowls of incense presented in his name to the Father on the throne. What is the way home? There's only one. It's the way of the cross. Chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a king, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We see in these two parallel hymns, the heavenly host singing to the Lord a new song. It's the new song prophesied in Isaiah 42. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is he to take the scroll for he was slain and by his blood you have been ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation, a kingdom of priests to God who will reign on the earth. The fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and to Moses interwoven in Christ. If you will obey my voice, O Israel, I will make of you a kingdom of priests. This is not some forward-looking hope. This is not a story of things that are yet to come. When Christ uttered from the cross it is finished it was the old passing away and the new creation begun and the blood of him who has the power to redeem who was granted authority over creation by the father and was given the inheritance that he had purchased with his blood a creation made new a creation made a kingdom of priests who shall reign in the new Jerusalem with our God and our king do you worship him John closes this part of his vision by giving us the response of creation. Verse 13, chapter 5. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Do we worship him? When life is hard, when we don't feel like it when we're suffering or perhaps more challenging when we're most definitely not suffering do we worship him friends if if the resurrected christ is now seated at the right hand of the father reigning upon his throne receiving our prayers as bowls of incense to present to the father exercising dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, then can I humbly say as a man who regularly loses sight of this in my own life, the worship of Christ has to shape every corner of our lives. You're coming, you're going, you're praying, how you live your life, what you prioritize, your private devotion, your family worship, your public corporate worship with the body, because praise the Lord, if the resurrected Christ is now seated upon his throne, then there is nothing else that can ever or will ever be more important than that. Do we worship him? In a way, that's what going home represents. The sin that Adam brought into the world, causing God to have to protect him from touching the tree of life and later his presence on the Ark of the Covenant, lest he die. Walling them off by cherubim, by flaming sword, and by veil, he now says, come. 
if you are an Adam, if you are clinging to your sin, there is no way. You'll remain eternally exiled from the garden, always dying, yet never dead. But if you come through Christ, trusting his finished work for your salvation, trusting in his blood to atone for the punishment due for your sins, casting your sins upon him and receiving his righteousness that is freely given to you in exchange, then the veil has been torn, the gate is open because of the lamb who was slain. The end has begun. The new creation is here, even as we await his glorious return and the final consummation of it all. He invites you to put your sin upon him and come by the way of the cross. Christ opened our story with an appeal to the churches in Asia. It's an appeal to us as well. Come home and worship your God and your King. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what beauty there is in this imagery. story of humanity, the only story that has ever mattered, because it's the story of Christ, Christ desiring to be back with us again, Christ desiring to make a way, Christ considering us, even us gathered here in this sanctuary this morning worthy of being an inheritance for him for all of eternity. Lord, would you receive our worship from now and forever. Amen.